You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. And uh, I don't think this thing is fucking... Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it's on. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, it's, so it's, it's, it's... But it's set in Tokyo. So it's inhabiting a brand new person, new, yes. new setting, new everything. Yeah, new setting, and it's in Tokyo, and, it's the, and uh, uh, Buddhist hell is scenarios. Mm. is like the crow has to go into Buddhist hell at one point, and, um, and there's like headless... You know, in Japanese mythology, you have this floating head that what chases people. Oh yeah, the uh, the oni, and, right? And uh, uh, that's in there, and and all that kind of cool stuff. So <laughs> we just started. We got uh, bored. And uh, yeah, we uh, uh, since Bisson's not here, let's talk about that fucker. You know what I noticed about him? Oh fuck! Shut up. <laughs> Dad, Dad's here. We could. Dad's here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, hide the liquor. Because <laughs> he'll drink it. Did, did Rita <laughs> ring the bell? Everybody's still out there. Well, anyway. Well, we're um, just, just going. We're talking about the crow, so let's just. The crow. Just the, I'm writing a crow comic book. I did five. It's a five-issue miniseries graphic novel for IDW, and it, it's called The Crow, Death, and Rebirth. And um, so uh, the first issue is just coming out this month, and I'm still writing the fifth issue. But so th- who's the, the br- artist on that? A guy named Kevin Colden, which, you know, he's kind of young and. Um, they get them all straight out of Jack Kirby school now. Right? <laughs> Everybody was influenced by Jack Kirby. He was, uh, and you know, they, all this shit in, in movies that was borrowed from Jack Kirby that he'll never get credit for. Yeah. You know, uh, not only the Avengers, but all kinds of other imagery that he'll never get credit for. But he, he, uh, he practically created uh, all this, like, like the way explosions happen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the way people get thrown through. Through walls. That's Jack Kirby. Uh, but I mean, just his whole dra- way of dramatizing things, you know. Well, I'm still curious more about the crow. I mean, it's set in Japan. Is it a Japanese protagonist? Is the crow? No, uh, the Japanese girl. Uh, he's an American who's there in Japan uh, to be near, well, to study Japanese at this university and to, and to be near his Japanese girlfriend. And then, you know, because it's the crow, horrible things happen to them both. And then he has to come back from the dead and take revenge. But I s- twined in a s- cyberpunk science fiction, metaphysical science fiction thing where it has people who are uh, using the, 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 the Kurzweilian version of the singularity to, to steal people's bodies, essentially, and put their minds in their bodies, and it forces out people's souls. And so, mm. so the girl is still walking around, but it's just her body being stolen by someone. And so it's the kind of the, this, this despoilment or this kind of... You know this defilement that's even worse than killing her. Mm-hmm. So, um, so she's just off floating somewhere. Yeah, kind of. Well, no, she body. gets ends up and because of of the circumstances and the evil behind it, she ends up being temporarily uh, located in Buddhist Japanese Buddhist, Buddhist hell. Uh, there's because Japanese Buddhist hell is like so intricate and convoluted. It's a, it's and, a colorful place. And it's well, it's like so. There's like thousands and thousands of little iterations and and rooms in it. I mean, they have. I you know I only hit on the big ones, but they have like 
uh, you know, people who don't clean their bathrooms enough hell. <laughs> really, I mean, it's shit like that. You know, they, they it's really, they really, literally, uh, yeah, shit like that, literally. And, and it's, and, um, uh, it's, they have a, you know, they have hells for just everything you can imagine. People who are too pedantic or something, you know, yeah. they put them in, a, if they have a special hell for them, it's like, well, it makes so Dante many, look like a piker. Well, that's it. Know? There's so many uh, cultures when I was doing, like, the devil research for my stuff. We just realized, you're screwed. Like, there are so many where it's just like, there is nothing you can get away with. There is nothing you're going to do where you're not going to end up in some hell, hell somewhere. Yeah. You're yeah. just doomed. Yeah. And, so it's uh, like niche hell, right? Yeah. Yes, that's right. Genre hell. <laughs> oh, we're in genre writer hell, and in yes. genre writer hell, you have to, you know, appear at uh, these readings and. Oh. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> well, let me ask you. You worked in comics, right? You did. I, d the, I did that one um, series for Vertigo, and then Vertigo. that just sort of exploded. You know, not what do you the mean? best way. Uh, uh, there was a falling out with Vertigo at the end of that. It was uh -huh. a miscommunication. It was one of those things that sort of it was a miscommunication that then doubled itself and then sort of kept doubling itself until everybody at Vertigo, uh, I, I did the comic with the Pander Brothers, until everybody at Vertigo hated us. So Did um, you finish the thing? Did yeah, no, it's, it, 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 was, it was finished. It actually was reprinted. This is the Pander Brothers? This is the Pander Brothers up in Portland. <coughs> Who the hell are the Pander Brothers? I've never heard of this. Are they oh, like they're, they're Pander with a T. No, 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 P-A-N-D-E-R. Uh, As in Pander. But As in Pander, yes. Um, they, who are the, they've done who a lot the brothers of that did, um, um, oh, here's mom. Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I just spent 12 days babysitting my niece who came up to visit. My 10-year-old was like, thank God I didn't have kids. So. Auntie Rena. Yes, I'm a good aunt. She had all the sugar she wanted. <laughs> I'm her favorite aunt, so Anyways, welcome back. Uh, round two is just about to get started. Um, I did want to let you all know we do have some other upcoming events. Um, unfortunately, the one on Monday is full, but I think some of you have seen the Amazing Spider-Man 3D invite. Um, we are going to take a hiatus in August for author events, but we'll be showing John Carter of Mars Yay. on August 11th. The most underrated I've cinema of the fantastic in 40 years. It's a, it's a good movie. We are attempting to source Burroughs would have liked it. There is. Um, there we'll is. Take some money that night. We'll have the bar and free popcorn and we'll have a little raffle beforehand. So that's Saturday, August 11th. September, September 15th, we've got three authors. We've got Melinda Lowe, uh, Cindy Tong, and in from England, um, uh, a very well-regarded feminist writer named Rob Kaveni is very much looking forward to that event. Uh, October, we ramp up with uh, Litquake, and we are having, again, I'm, I'm sorry, Terry, but we're having three authors for our Litquake event. And right now, we've, it's, it's just called Epic. Maybe something like Epic Fantasy is the Future. But we're going to have three great epic fantasy writers, Ken Scholes, Andrew Mayer, who's here with us tonight, and Tad Williams. So that's our Lit Quake mm -hmm. event for October. And we'll close out the year no, excuse me, in November with uh, Tim Stanley Robinson and Cecilia Holland. And in between that, we'll have movies. We'll have a couple other events. We are looking, we're hoping to have a Halloween evening with um, the, uh, the the retreat up in the North Bay with Rain Graves and some oh, horror writers. I can't remember the name of it for the life of me. Oh, but yeah. The, find out. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, it's supposedly a haunted house. Yes, they stay at a haunted house and they 
right it's this weekend. lodge that they is, is yeah, so we'll have true. Them come and tell us that they're experiencing weather Sounds dreadful. Well, I was going to uh, ask for questions or comments from the audience on the reading and the authors, but um, I'd like to follow. John is apparently the only person in the world who thinks that John Carter Marx is a great movie. No, and no, not the only one. There's thousands. There's a, there's a huge fan base where there's tens of thousands of people at a Facebook thing. We're trying to get them to do a sequel. They have, they've had a letter-writing campaign. It's a huge following. You you did did you see it? Of course not. There you, you have no idea. you have no clue then you have no clue and you probably didn't even read Edgar Rice Burroughs when you were a kid because you were too you were way too hip even then. Of course. <laughs> see no. if you read Burroughs it does have Burroughsian qualities which like no other film adaptation of a Burroughs thing ha ever has it does have much burrows in it. So, and, and I grew up as a little boy reading the Martian novels, and um, it's not, you know, doesn't follow them perfectly, but it, it's totally in the spirit of it, and it has really good actors, and has a really incredibly foxy, powerful woman. She's like this warrior woman, and she fucking kicks ass, man. She's this powerful warrior woman, and she gets up there and kicks fucking ass. You know, that, that bitch kicks ass. That's what I'm saying. And she's foxy. I'm not going to mess with this guy. Do you have any? What's your opinion? Um, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I felt bad for the movie because there were a lot of good qualities there, but I could see why it was doomed because, I mean, Burroughs has been ripped off for the last, you know, 90 years. So we've seen so much of the source material in other movies. I mean, Star Wars is, is so full of Burroughs that I felt bad because I could kind of see it coming in that unless they did something insane with it um, that it was going to feel like uh, almost like a, a, a by being a, by, by being um, faithful. Uh, faithful it was almost doomed and almost like a period movie right. it's supposed to be though it's even set in the 1880s yeah but it's 200 million dollars that's the problem <laughs> no it was 350 million dollars oh <laughs> so they're the definitely problem. gonna make a sequel if it was of that. 200 million dollars <laughs> they would have already planned a sequel but but in fact, it is make, turning a profit because it was usually successful overseas. Ah, and the well, DVDs, see, it's yeah. now turning a profit, plus which they have already got most of the special effects um, in the computers. Yeah. And they've got all these sets and they've got all this other stuff. They, they, you know, they've, and they don't have to develop. They know how, where it is, what it is now. So they can actually probably do a, a good sequel for something like $70 million, which... Uh, and probably right. and turn a good profit, and I, I'm hoping. Do you we know will. about Do you know about the, how the overseas markets work? It's it's changed a lot. The overseas markets saved so many American movies. They have this reputation of being bombs. I mean, Waterworld is the classic one yeah. that's made so much money, but Americans don't know it. And now we're using the overseas market to break movies. I mean, the Avengers had already earned out by the time it opened in America. They didn't have to. No one had to go see the Avengers in America for that movie to make some money. Um, so it's it's incredible. Um, how the market has shifted and how Hollywood's finally figured out how to use it. Isaac. So, um, NASA's about ready to launch 
Who? That was about ready to launch another still around. Mars probe with another Mars rover. Yeah. So when we come get around to actually having a crewed mission to Mars, and I mean manned mission to Mars, or woman's mission to Mars, um, Essex very politically correct. They will find the fucking four-armed green guys on Mars no, they, just like they're down in the canal. They will, they will find Willem Dafoe being angry that no one knows it was he, that he was the green guy. No, wait, wait. Before they do that, I would like to have an audience poll of what the expedition should be named. Should be named Burroughs or Deja Forest or what? Oh, name it Burroughs because half the people are going to think Edgar Rice and half of them are going to think William. Damn. So I think Burroughs is the way to go. I love the idea of just people imagining this crew smacked out of their minds all the way to Mars. Naked lunch on Mars. Well, I, remember, I vote for Deja Thorin. I remember uh, in one of Stan Ro- uh, Kim romantic. Stanley Robinson's Mars books, he had a, there was a town named Burroughs. And in another uh, Mars book, there's a town named after Kim Stanley Robinson. So, oh, really? you know. That's great. Yes, please. Everyone's naked, yeah, in the books. In the books. So Although he doesn't describe any swinging Johnsons or anything. <laughs> he, he, he just lets you know that, yeah, and they're pretty scantily clad in the movie, too, actually, yeah. come somewhat. But, yeah, it's true. And, and uh, the women lay eggs <laughs> instead of have babies in the books. And if they make a sequel, we're not sure if Deja's going to lay eggs or not. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but, in fact, women do lay eggs. The, the, they create, you know, the eggs are in their uteruses, and then, you know. All right, enough. Enough eggs. <laughs> Cliff. So, uh, speaking of movies that don't do well, you guys were having a bad movie fight over in the first Oh, yeah, so. I'd like to get back to that. Right. I'd rather forget about mine. I, they didn't really shoot my script. They paid me for it, but they didn't really shoot my script. Imagine that. Imagine that. <laughs> so they made a bad movie. But, but in Richard's case, what was the they movie? shot every word. They did it. That's they right. did his vision completely. That's right. Totally, no, <laughs> that's right. I don't know what it is. No, no, no. What was quickly? What was yours? And and what was it? Uh, it's called the Tomb. It's a really bad movie. It's be, you know, and and I and it was like partly not. You know, they ran out of. They just fucked everything up. They lost all their special effects money partly because the actors were all drugged and drunk. Uh, Imagine that. One of the actors was freebasing the whole time, and the other one, uh, one of the big actors, uh, Michael, um, what's the fucking name? Michael Madsen. Oh, he. Oh, I've heard Madsen stories. He had been trying to clean, and he and on the plane, and sober, and he on the on the plane, he started drinking Jack Daniels, and he was drinking from the bottle at the set like this. He was the Reservoir Dogs dude, right? Yeah, yeah. He's in a lot of stuff. And well, not a lot, but he was sure. No, he's he's been in a lot of stuff over the years, but unfortunately, because of his problems, he's been relegated to B movies for about 10, 12 years now. Unfortunately, he's a good actor, basically. But and Eric, um, Eric Roberts was there, and Eric Roberts was disgusted that they were not being professional. The uh, the main actor, I forget the name of the main actor. He's just kid was in television shows and. And uh, he was freebasing, and he would dra- they had literally had to break down the door of his hotel to get him out of there and drag the, the pipe from his hand, and they dragged him down to the set and couldn't remember any of his lines. So 
and then he and then he and then uh, Madsen was like drunk and waving his bottle, say, "I could make up all this shit. I don't need a script." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so you know, uh, and so Eric Roberts got mad and started punching uh, the guy. And said, "I I want to get this goddamn thing over with so I can go home," <laughs> and and they got in a fist fight. Awesome. Uh, so you know that that is like the atmosphere on the set, uh, and you know and. And you claim you have no responsibility for no, that. No, man. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't handing them this shit. I wasn't there even. But you know, that's the kind of thing that was going on. And they, and then every time they had a decision to make, should we do this? They, they spend an extra hour and a half and an extra fifty dollars to do it the, the better way, or should we do it the cheap way? Guess what they picked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a sucky, sucky it's, movie. It's funny sometimes in in movies where you can see at certain points that someone had to make a decision and there are certain movies where you see like every single decision was wrong yeah. and deliberately so i mean that, they weren't trying to do it trying to, they weren't trying to make a bad movie but every single time what they thought was the right way to go they went down the wrong road it's a, it's kind of a fascinating school of movie making and well, some yeah sometimes it happens at a certain point and that's why brandon lee is dead because they yeah. decided they made a decision to save money on firearm safety at the crow and now he's dead. And that was the, the there was a scandal of in the crow, and that was that was it. He was, he he killed was a guy. Killed. Yeah, that's a scandal. He and was killed. And, and because they they were they were normally they have a firearms expert who looks through the the barrel of a prop gun to make sure there's nothing in the barrel so that so that no uh, no nothing can be propelled by the blank charge. Oh, okay. You're, but you're, there was something, are we that boring? There was a piece you have to of prop bullet stuck in the barrel from another scene where they they do you know they do a close up scene where they shove you know bullets into into the prop yeah, gun yeah. and a, and a piece of of this cheap prop bullet broke off inside the barrel and it was stuck in there and uh, then then they put a a uh, uh, blank a blank in in behind it and uh, and. Nobody looked through the barrel to make sure that nothing was stuck in the in because the firearms expert had been let go. He just sat around most of the time. What does he do that's important? And the next day, after he was let go, Brandon Lee was dead. Wow. Now, what about your movie? <laughs> no, I mean while we're on the movie thing, uh, you've had some experience in movies also. Yeah, uh, most of which never actually happened, so I never got to I the don't point think of. You want to um, ask him about uh, about. Uh, the gay orgy in in uh, <laughs> uh, North Dakota, which was a very you know another part of his life. And yeah, that we was of that film and you gay orgy two rent. and gay orgy three. <laughs> you know, it was like when gay orgy four and gay orgy five. He you know he's left that behind. Gay orgy six. <laughs> gay or- <laughs> right. Anyway, I got worse than that, much worse. All right, we'll so move I on. wrote this. I wrote this cover story for Wired magazine back in like '99, I think. Uh, about the discovery of the first human clone. They wanted to do their first uh, cover story that was a work of fiction, that was basically a lie. So, and I, I started out as a journalist when I was a kid, so we came up with this scenario of um, this, basically this documentary crew goes to this special you know, school for kids, sort of a Montessori thing. They're just doing a documentary on the school, and through happenstance, they, they discover that one of the children is in fact a clone. Uh, of a dead child. And so it, the story then becomes sort of the scandal behind that. You know, the, uh, the, the 
head of the medical team, you know, at some point getting exasperated and going, well, we're all either going to win Nobel Prizes or go to jail kind of a thing. So, and so it's written very much as a straight news story from everybody's point of view, from the parents' point of view, from the doctor's point but of view. But a faux news story. But a faux news story yeah. and very straight ahead. So that um, a company in New York optioned that. And um, what they started out doing it the way the original writer and I thought, which is like, well, it's a fake documentary. Let's just do, do it as a documentary. Let's just do, um, you know, set it up like a real news story, and we can just do interviews with everybody and make it dramatic that way. That's the pow- that was the power of it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. the power of the story was the immediacy. Well, that writer lasted about three weeks, and they kept bringing other writers in. And with each writer, this is a perfect kind of Hollywood thing, the story kept sort of going off to the side a little more. And at a certain point, no one answered my phone calls anymore. And you know, that's a really good moment when no one would call you back. Um, (laughs) And about a year later, this thing showed up. um, It played one time on, I think, WB, one of the little little, uh, syndicated channels. And it literally aired one time on television. Uh, has since aired, I think, one or once or twice more on Lifetime. But it, th- my story um, became a thing called um, what was the final? They had like a million titles. Um, no ordinary baby. That was the uh, the final title. And basically, they, they took what was essentially a terse kind of a medical thriller and turned it into a Lifetime movie. So poor Bridget Fonda, who needed a job at the time, sort of got to play this kind of a weepy, squishy mom in soft focus with the worst wig of the 90s, uh, sort of uh, super glued to her head. And it just became this weep, this two-hour weep fest um, that was just, I've never made it all the way through. And I actually, I've, I've actually bought several copies that I, that I fling at people sometimes, even though I've never actually watched it. Can you so. get it on Netflix? Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. Actually, it would be under the title of Ask Amy. Um, No, um, no ordinary baby. That would be the title. Interesting. Or look up. Just look up Bridget Fonda. You'll. I'm sure it'll be. If she's on there, it'll be listed. One interesting. Before we get off of this, did you? So that was when Lou Rosetta um, wired, right? Yes, when Lou when when Lewis was still there, right? And um, I knew Lewis back in New York, and uh, the way I met before Wired ever happened, yeah, and. the way I met Lewis was because he had written a book about the making of Caligula. So there's oh, a, that's right. There's a movie connection to, Cal- to his to his uncle was the guy who also made Battle of Algiers. Was the right. same guy who made Caligula. That's a that's a real yeah. jump. <laughs> it is a jump. But Lou had, had so he had a whole there was a whole movie thing. Yeah. Kind of there. Yeah. I forgot about the Caligula connection yeah. there. That's yeah. right. Isn't he? Isn't he an extra in it? I, I, it that's that's the other thing I heard that he's yeah. in in the background of a few scenes, yeah, young young be. Lewis somewhere. Yeah, he was uh, actually when you and I met in Texas. Uh, yeah. It's the first time I'd seen Lou in about ten years, mm-hmm. and he was in Texas. And I remember, and Wired was already going then. Yeah, and uh, and I asked him, I said, "What's it like to be a millionaire?" <laughs> and he says, "Well, when you have breakfast at a hotel." You don't have to look at the prices on the menu. Uh, there you go. And, uh, there you I go. thought that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Actually, yeah. All right. Um, I know we have a lot of questions here because this is not a freshman lecture course. Mm, apparently right. not. <laughs> All right. The only yes, there we go. Where's the exit? Like, damn, I should have done, like, you would have done something different, or, or 
change your opinion on it? Did you see something that, that where you were very happy, that you were happy? Did you feel like you were stuck? Well, I did a lot of research about tsunamis. I did base it partly on the Indonesian tsunami. So uh, I, I had it pretty, pretty well right. Um, I don't know. I probably screwed something up. I mean, you know, unless you're in. How many tsunami survivors are going to call you on it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well. But I, you know, I probably, I, I think I nailed it pretty good. And well, it, was I based so. on, it was based on my um, reading. And also I did watch, there's a lot of footage. A lot of footage. Of the Indonesian tsunami, and it's fascinating. Yeah, the only thing that bothered me was that um, in the movie Hereafter, which I saw after I wrote the book, uh, you know, they do such a vivid one there. I thought, wow, is it going to seem like I'm borrowing from that? Because, but um, no one saw it. No, so. few people. What's saw Hereafter? It. Wait, it's such what a very good. If you want to see a great tsunami scene, the movie Hereafter is a wonderful one at the beginning. Now, what's Hereafter? It's a it's a movie about the afterlife with uh, directed by Clint Eastwood. I think was it Matt Damon was the Matt uh, Damon, star. Yeah, oh, well that picture. one. Yes, yes, yes. You have okay. to put aside your disbelief, but it's it's a well made picture. Right. Pat. I was fascinated by in both of your uh, pieces you read the listing of it's not just detritus, it's just it's specificity of the detritus. It's like this is made of ticket stubs and menus and whatever. And here's I, I know as a writer the process I have to go through to get the details. I'm curious about whether or not there's anything in particular when you're Actually used, actually used a giant fire hose on a motel, <laughs> and watched the people as they struggled to, to you know, and then. No. No, I think you John could, you could probably get away with that in El Paso, man. <laughs> <laughs> you just run over the board of the Juarez. No one's going to follow you. Or you just look at the floor in your office, you know. And <laughs> yeah, you know, writers are surrounded by detritus anyway. Uh, you know, in the most of their offices anyway, as you might know. Well, you probably have a neat one, but. What about you, Richard? What do you think? Um, for me, it was my weird little list was very easy because I, I, it was, literally was lying in the street downtown in L.A. There was a parking ticket. There was a menu. There were um, some shop. There, there was some handwritten notes, and I just thought that was sort of a nice uh, encapsulation of just to make this to make this banal afterlife even more banal. It's sort of like, uh, oh, the horror here is. A lot of Chinese takeout menus. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, no. Yeah. We're awash in them. That rocks. is good. Yeah. That's that good kind of because, stuff. And that's verisimilitude of the kind. You know, that's all part of our psychology, that kind of environment. I mean, if there is a, if there is a bardo, you know, it'll probably be a fairly trashy or, or, or whatever is psychologically important to the experience. Bardo's like limbo, thing. right? Uh, no, it's kind of, sort of. It's it kind of, sort of. It's I don't know if there but is such a thing. You have to pass. I mean, it, it's a series of. It's also a series of tests you have to go through. Supposedly, that yeah. you go through in the afterlife, you have all these. They kind of dramatized it in that movie, um, uh, the Jacob's Ladder. That was kind of about being in the oh, right. sort of. It's right. a good movie. It's cool. Another one that's been ripped off innumerable times. Yes, at it's this been point. ripped off a lot. But the same guy wrote Ghost. Well, but oh. Jacob's Ladder was basically the um, incident at Alcreek Bridge, right? 
Yeah, uh, yeah. but done in a. They did it in a very modern way, tying yeah. it into modern events. But yeah, no, it was a great uh, movie. I, I like it a lot. And, and you just sort of gave away the ending by saying that. But well, <laughs> it's it's still worth seeing. Yeah, yeah. So, Any other questions? all right, you want to talk about literature or science fiction, horror, <laughs> mystery, or comics? Um, I'm we'll just make shit up. We don't care. This gentleman <laughs> had a question. How much of the did you see the comics spawn or the movies spawn? Did it have? Um, I saw Spawn. I was sent by Wired magazine to interview during the cloning thing. Uh, uh, a gentleman named Dr. Richard Seed, um, and I saw the movie Spawn when it was 15 degrees out in Chicago, and I refused to leave the room. Um, it was a horrific experience yeah. all around. Not the way they intended. Not it didn't quite come out uh, the way they intended. No, I, you know that it's a terrible movie, and it's like, and the Spawn comics are pretty good comics, but. Uh, but you know what happened is that is that there was a period in Hollywood where they got the idea that if you could take a special effects director and he could become mm. a movie director, and um, because they they thought movies are now all about special effects, he was a special effects director. He'd be cheaper than hiring uh, Joe from the that we know from the you know right from the Directors Guild or something, and um, then they let these and these guys always wanted to try it and they always sucked at it, pretty much because it's just not their bailiwick. And uh, that that was directed. That was the first directing job, probably the last, by a by a special effects mm -hmm. director. It was just totally incoherent mess. And and uh, oh, there were various other examples of that phenomenon. Believe me, I've seen a bunch of uh, that. That Catwoman movie with Halle Berry is another one, directed yeah. um, by Pitoff, who's a who was a big French special effects guy who worked on with Junet and uh, Caro on City of Lost Children and Delicatessen and all those movies. And I think that was his first and last uh, big directing job. So, yeah. But uh, I saw Spawn, and if you're asking if Spawn was an inspiration, it was the opposite oh, the of an inspiration. Yeah, flight 2 is bad. Flight 2 like is pretty good. Like I said in an earlier interview, like it was much more, uh, my protagonist is named Stark. It was much more inspired by Richard Stark, the old crime writer. I knew it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was of course it's Richard. I was saying. Of course. Well, that's why I have Richard a Stark. I, ha I, I have I have a villain named Parker to, to that's pay that right. off. That's right. I noticed that too. So I wanted uh, to I little, you know give a little Stark give a little uh, give a little shout out to yes. uh, Richard Stark there because he really. Awesome. awesome right, we had a books. question in the back or a comment. Yeah, how about that? Oh, yeah. Okay, so at a certain point in time, a bunch of us were in L.A. trying to be TV writers. Uh, I sucked at it. But some friends of mine did a lot of Saturday morning cartoons. And what happens is when you're cranking those out, they didn't pay all that well. They paid okay. But if you want to make a living, you really got to crank them out. And what happens is after a while, you start getting kind of punchy. And there are always subsidiary characters. There's, there's you know, the... Sh the schmuck who gets has to get killed by Doctor Doom, and he's he's kind of nobody. But you need a name for the guy who gets killed, or you need uh, another villain name um, for some other clown you just invented. And uh, Mark Scott Zacree was writing for Black Star, which was a ripoff of He-Man. And at one point, he he needed a villain's name, and he thought my last name was kind of weird, so he named the villain Kadri. And what was even weirder, so I appeared on uh, like one episode of this terrible show, but what's even weirder is they started marketing a line of toys from, from the show, and I am now an action figure. There is a little purple doll named Kadri out there. Really? Yes, swear to God. Did you get it? 
I have I have a bunch of them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see that. <laughs> okay. It doesn't look like you. Luke. It's actually on my website. If you look at the I'll bio section, there's a little it. photo of cool. uh, Kadri. I think it's something like Lord of Time, or the Inv or is it the Invincible Wizard? Because I think I was the Lord of Time on the TV show, and I'm uh, the Invincible Wizard with no, a little was, with a glow was, in the dark bazooka, which was even even better. It was yeah. the Wizard of something, the Wizard of Invincible Wizard, I think. And there's a flying bull, which is uh, you can get the second toy. Yes, I wrote a lot of animation. I did. I wrote Batman Beyond here and there and some other stuff. So you wrote I, stuff that wasn't crap. That was the, well, that's the I, difference. <laughs> and I wrote some crap animation too. And I and I also wrote some television episodes, but I I also feel that I I mean you can find my credits in various television episodes, but I I feel that I failed at it because I don't think like those guys. Mm -hmm. You know, and probably the same with you is that you know, it's it's not that they, you know, not, nothing wrong with them. They just think like television mm -hmm. writers, and they and they're they're good at groupthink. Yes, you know, and they're good they're good at 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 uh, that kind of committee process, and and uh, I was always trying to bring an original idea, and this baffled them. But it's not that it's not that they're not bad writers. It's just that they they rehash things in their. What do you mean it's not that talent. they're not bad writers? Well, no, they're not. They're they're good writers. They're just specialized. Right. They're specialized at rehashing things in a fun, interesting way. Yeah. Most TV is about TV, and yeah. that's the thing you first realize when you start dealing with TV producers is the one thing they know in life is TV. They've never yeah. done anything else. They but they have an encyclopedic uh, knowledge of every TV show. Ever made? Yeah, and they're they're a little, you know, they're the box they use to construct television stories. Are it's like a, bo a, t a box of Tinker Toys or something where you know you have this component that you're very familiar with, and this one you screw onto it, and this time we'll use this one, mm -hmm. and and uh, and this one is from this show, and this one's from this show, and this one's from this show, and uh, and you know, and let's it stick some of this, and then when you see, oftentimes, maybe not always, but oftentimes when you see their in their offices, they'll have the shows uh, kind of sketched out on a in a calendar on the wall, a storyboard, or they'll have a calendar that'll say, you know, this episode five, episode six, episode seven, and it'll say, uh, you know, um, it'll say the Frankenstein episode, mm -hmm. for example, you know, and and because that's a component, it's a story component you use, you know. What is that uh, component? And and it's oh, I don't know. It's like uh, you know. Uh, uh, you bring somebody back to the bed uh, th from the dead, but it's, since it's a computer story, they do it with the computer parts or something. All right, so all right, all right. you know, they it's variants on these tr on these tropes on these old uh, archetypes, and you and you see and the most you see row after row of them are you know, um, you know the the Jimmy Olsen version, uh, you know or something <laughs> you know you know, all these things and then it turns out when you think about the story yeah they did you. Do Jimmy Olsen that, didn't mm -hmm. they? You know, so, uh, that, that's the tendency, and you have to be good at that kind of thing. And some people can do it intelligently and fun, and I respect it, and it entertains people, and they do it, you know, they, re they really have to work hard. In their like who? <laughs> they, Ira Bear, he's my friend, and, he, and he's done lots of this stuff. They really have to do work hard to, to make this work, and occasionally they slip in a fresh idea. But but mostly it's a special skill set mm -hmm. these guys have, and I didn't fit in with the skill set naturally, and they just like were kind of, you know, like wow he he's an actual writer, but these guys were these guys they let me come in and and take little bits of things from me, and then they would give me a credit, you know, 
But I, I, had that. I don't we, feel yeah, I'm one of those they people. Take little, they chop things up into little, like a little salad yeah. and go, well, we'll just take, yeah. we, we like this idea with the computer. Yeah. We'll put that in this episode. We, we like the, um, we yeah, like your, that's right. your talking catfish, and we'll put that over <laughs> here. And, um, yeah, yeah. I, I had the same experience. I, I, not to the extent that you guys did, but one week in a trailer on the Universal Backlot with like six people. <laughs> You this know, is going to go and somewhere every, bad. And everybody's putting stuff up on the yeah. blackboard. And it's a lot of fun, and they're very bright, wonderful people. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. And then they don't nice. use anything you say. Yes. But, they treat <laughs> but they're very you, excited. But they but treat you with a lot of respect because you're a real writer. They get very excited about what you say. Right. You've actually probably, you know. And then, and then at lunch, they send in a great lunch, and then you go for a ride in the golf cart for a yes, while. Yes, that's fun. I, yeah, I, did, I got to do the same thing. It was so cool. The golf carts are really fun to ride around the lots because a lot of the um, sound stages will have posters for movies that are coming out or movies that have just yeah. come out. And if you're with the right people, the whole time you're driving through the lot, they're making catty remarks. Yeah. <laughs> about everybody else's movies and TV show. It's like, that's going to bomb, that's going to bomb. Yeah. That's good, but they don't know how to market oh, it, oh, look, so it's going to bomb. I heard this once. That guy's Tom Cruise's boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear that once. Well, I got to say, I only got to do it once, but it was a thrill. Uh, it's, you it's know, fun, if you yeah. do it enough, I'm sure it gets boring, but, uh, you know, it was kind of a thrill to me. Isaac, once more. All right, we'll ignore that question. Um, <laughs> he has a question over there. There's yeah. many, there are too many microphones going in, in yeah. L.A. for that to work. Please. Well, I wonder how deep you guys go into um, a mythology. Like, did you study mythology? And did you play Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, God, no. I, I didn't even I – didn't, I literally did not know Dungeons and Dragons existed uh, Did you write a until Dungeons and Dragons novel or something? Oh, that would have been so cool if I had. That would have been. If they let me, do? if they'd let me write a Dungeons and Dragons books the I way I want Dungeons to, I would so, I would so do it. They gave me a pretty it. good paycheck to write yeah, one. Yeah, no. I, and I, they sent me some books and I poured through them a little bit. I never played it ever. It's weird. It's a weird. It was a weird phenomenon because it's just, you know how, like, you you think like I'm a real cultural guy. I sort of know what's going on, but something gets by you, and like I didn't know about Dungeons and Dragons for the longest time until it was sort of. Until it sort of passed its peak, yeah, and then people who'd already played it could tell me all about it. But no, I, I honestly, the first time I heard about it was at some writing group when someone accused someone of writing a story that was a Dungeons and Dragons story. And it's it, funny it, since Dungeons and, and, and Dragons time, is stolen yeah. from all of from from, from the from, gameplay. Oh well, the game Dungeons and Dragons imagery is all stolen from Tolkien and from people uh -huh. like that anyway. Anyway, uh, I, no, and to answer your question in the longest way possible, uh, no. <laughs> Good question. Because you mentioned, like, your character can amp Lamia. A Lamia is a demon. Well, a Lamia is a well, demon Lamia's before a Dungeons and Dragons yeah. existed. It's an old yeah. term. Dungeons and Dragons drew on all kinds of mythology. Right. Gather their monster manual. And yeah, yeah they did, no, I've they never did seen draw the from mythology, manual. too. But they also stole things from Tolkien and Michael Moorcock and all kinds of people, I discovered in looking for their Dungeons and Dragons books. Of course, John was a Greek major at Yale. I ate some falafel, you know, is what I, lots of falafel. Well, it's funny. I, so what about horror? Baklava. I ate a lot of them. What about horror? Both you, guys, both you guys write horror. 
you work at horror. What's he doesn't really. Um, I, I get classified as horror all the time, and I got I just <laughs> so got an invite. To write uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just got an invite from the Horror Writers of America to join them. So I'm a horror writer. Fuck no, you. No, <laughs> you are because because you're because now the Sandman, the urban fantasy thing totally it's, overlaps. Exactly. And it, and it, yeah. It mines horror and yeah, and it's it's an overlap. Yeah. And, and I can and I really I know the reason they call myself horror is is this is some of the physical um, um, things that happen in the books. I have a couple of fights in the in the the new book that are. It's like, oh, I can see people reading that as a kind of a Clive Barker scene yeah, because it's very, right. it's a very wet yeah. <laughs> kind of horror. Yeah. Um, so you know, and I'm I'm proud of that. I'm I'm perfectly happy. I, yeah. I like good horror as much as I like any other genre. So um, I don't care if someone calls it urban fantasy or yeah. whatever the hell. Um, horror is fine by me. I set out to uh, my novel Bleak History is urban fantasy, and it has elements of science fiction, as cyberpunk. It has it has. Um, Occult mythology, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, has it has all kinds of mythology, has paranormal stuff, and so I just take it in this big blender. I just mix it in there. Yeah, and that's what makes stuff interesting. It's not that one, one little flavor over and over again. It's it's different. It's different degrees of different ingredients that yeah. I think makes it interesting. I mean, at yes, this point it's when just it's just a, a wide open recipe. It really is. Yeah. Now, when you're writing for uh, you're writing this comic right now, you got. But it's a real job. It's not on spec, right? It's a <laughs> yeah, I get yeah, I get. Cause it seems like most comics today are on spec or their hobby stuff or their. No, this is a this I, is a I don't know. pretty I big company. They do they, they do most of the licensing comics, like they do Doctor Who comics. When you do a comic, does it look like a film script? It looks yes and no. It's it's I'm using their format and it's very film script like, and then again it's not. And it's interesting because it's it does things it does indeed say panel one panel two panel three <coughs> per page, and um, then on page two you start over panel one, um, and it's um, uh, so you're doing it panel by panel, uh, and you and it's cinematic, to kind of because it's a, like in a movie you get all these you know yeah. frames at the same time it's not it's also static, and. Um, so you you kind of uh, you leave out all this stuff that happens in between panels, and you to pick out describe things so that that this panel flows into this one cinematically, uh, and and you help people imagine what goes in between them, sort of much more than in movies. So it's a strange combination of cinematic writing and and uh, it's, its own weird little static format. And you can also end up with these weird lumpy pages where it's like certain panels will just be like, here's panel A, here's panel B. You, you already know the story, it's flowing. But if something specific has to happen in the panel, you can have a page of description of one panel because you have to tell the artist yeah. what's happening. And it's a static image. So you, you sometimes you have yeah. to break every single element of it down. I find the artist ignores me a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just want to, because I've done a little bit of comics, <laughs> and, and I, did, I just use Final Draft, you know. Use mm-hmm. what? Well, yeah. Final draft. Final draft, w- w- I think, would work. To write a comic. Yeah. To write a comic. You could yeah. do it. I mean, it, you know, it depends I, on the company. They, just sent, they sent me their sample formats, and I just went with that to, in order to yeah. make them happy. But you could, uh, Final Draft is a program used for, for movies and television scripts, and it could be used for comics, I suppose. They just, when I, when I wrote for Vertigo, they just sent me a bunch of scripts by people they like, and I basically just stole Warren Ellis's format. Yeah. So that's all I did. Do worse and steal in Warren Ellison's format. Well, so, uh, these people look exhausted. And <laughs> they look like they're checking their watches and shit. Well, let's ask. Um, these Rena guys. Rena split a long time ago. This she is. Just, we, she went out and she said, "Fuck this," and 
This is a deep well of hack writing experience here. <laughs> People are, if anybody wants to drop in another bucket or otherwise we'll uh, let it go. Pat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did like 50 stories for them. And it made me wonder whether or not you've been working on a big, a big project, a series of books now. Do you miss writing the science fiction? Have you been sort of... I do little bits of it every now and then, but um, it's one of those sort of... It's like a palate cleanser. Yeah, at this but point. It's like a one paragraph story, right? Yeah, it'll be like anywhere. You know, it'll, it'll be, it can be a page. It could be like five, up to 500 words oh. or so. And some of the longer ones where it gets beyond flash will go up to 1,000 words. But I really try to keep it really, really terse. And that's the, uh, that's the fun part. Like, we you, used you to write call it, it short, short. But short, that's I'm not good that. enough for you kids. No. <laughs> no, it has no, to be flash to fiction. <laughs> or, or micro fiction. Micro that's the, yeah. that's, that's no, I'm sorry. Cooler. What were you saying? Um, it's, it's sort of, um, for me, it was one of those things where it's a story you write in one sitting and then you can read, um, very quickly in one sitting and, um, yeah, I enjoy the hell out of them. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote them once a week, um, for a year. So there's like 50 stories. Is this for Eileen's? Eileen Guns, yeah, Yeah. Infinite Matrix. And, uh. Yeah, it's really funny. Well, there's a lot of people. Is the Gibson's on there? Cory Doctorow? Did you do something for Infinite Matrix? No, I don't think so, but uh, it's been so long, I can't. Swanwick was doing something similar. Yeah, that's what it was. Right. Well, it's it's not really. <laughs> I did the, the, the future history the future history thing I do at Locus, which is uh-huh. a little... Uh, that started with Eileen. Okay. Um, I was doing it for Infinite Matrix. There you uh, go. That was um, a long time ago. Yeah, that was Eileen Gunn. Yeah. Yeah, all that stuff's gone now. Um, that was like a, a dot com millionaire funded. Is what? Wasn't it like a dot com millionaire funded that? Yeah, I don't remember what, I don't remember yeah, where the money came from. Oh, there we go. You helped design it? That's Paul Mavridis, by the way. The, the and that's Pat artist. Murphy, the science fiction writer. And they're having a dialogue. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> go. Well, I was going to say that it was a, inter, a dot-com internet weather report company that would give wow. you track uh, usage across the net on whatever parameters you wanted. And their theory on the science fiction site was that they were a cool company, so they wanted to attract cool people and coders. So people like us. So they a science fiction site that wasn't linked to their company. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the fact that this was a complete throwaway and disconnected would be so cool that they would want to work for them. <laughs> so they say wow. an ungodly open-ended budget into this thing and ran it for uh, over a year. Yeah. And, and then, of course, the blowout happened. <laughs> Nope, nope. It was. It's a real pure little object. It's kind of cool to have it up there now, because it's like this little, little, you know, little, little trilobite in the, in the, you know, kind of in the fossil record. 
Yeah, they so. forgot about business models for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they probably forgot. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we'll be yeah, around. Yes. We'll be wandering out. Yeah, we'll be out there. Well, listen, um, you had. So oh. I'm curious, uh, what are you guys reading? One, 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 one. Okay. Take a track two. Read books? This is a damn good question. I'm prepared to answer, and Richard's uh, trying to come up with something. Uh, I, I just started. Um, there was the Lucius Shepard novel that came out in the 90s that disappeared immediately, and they've just um, done it as an ebook called The Golden. Oh, uh, it's his vampire novel. Yeah, um, and they, they just put it back out. So uh, I, I, I found uh, I found a it copy of that. Out, it so did come out in a mass market paperback. I yeah, think. I think that was only it had a nice cover, but it was, it, and but I think it was his Ising book originally. And it just but it's uh, supposedly one of the very best vampire novels. Yeah, yeah. Lucius Shepard. If you like vampire novels, you could do a whole Still you could, could do a whole program about Lucius. Yeah, I mean Lucius is one of the great writers of this generation That's and right. one of the yeah. most. He, you talk about somebody shooting themselves in the foot once a week. I mean, yeah. is the most uh, the most talented and the most prolific and the most self-destructive probably of all of us. Yeah, if he's sort of That's the, saying he, something. He's sort of the Bert lemmy of science fiction. If, if Motorhead never actually got an album out, <laughs> he would be lemmy. Oh, God. So. Amazing. So you read, I just finished 2312. Uh, Stan oh, Robinson's novel, stuff. which let me tell you is, I um, I, I uh, uh, disclosure, I'm a good friend of Stan, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson, and so uh, he's a friend and a colleague. But uh, I got to say, this guy was when science fiction forgets what it's supposed to be doing, he comes along every few years and reminds it. I think that's what the Mars novels mm -hmm. did. And 2312 is just amazing. It's a utopia of the, of the entire solar system, and it's fucking beautiful. And I'm also reading this guy. Does anybody else read Percival Everett? Never heard of him. I love Percival Everett. I've just discovered him. He out Elmore's Elmore Leonard. Hmm. He writes yeah. the best dialogue. Uh, give give us a title we can look for. Um, well, uh, he wrote a book called Wounded, one called Erasure. He's written like 20 books. He's sort of bitter because he's a little pissed off. He never quite gets... It's a detective novel? He writes, he writes everything. He writes postmodern, uh, sort of like... Um, 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 which one? I'm trying to remember what it was. Not a... Assumption? Assumption, yeah. The ending of Assumption um, threw me for a loop. But anyway, I love this guy. Say and his name again. Percival Everett. And he's a, uh, um, I don't know, he's sort of in the Jonathan Lethem. Uh, who's the guy that that Jonathan took his seat down at Claremont College? You know, the, the big deal guy. Oh, um, yeah, that guy that Jonathan's now replaced. Uh, it's not, it's not Shaban, is it? No. no, no, no. You know, the guy that killed himself. Oh, right. Um, um, Foster. Um, um, David Foster, David Wallace. Foster Wallace. He writes, it, it's kind of in that postmodern, high literary uh, David Foster Wallace stuff. Then he writes westerns. He writes mysteries. And, Westerns? Um, yeah. Very good westerns. 
Oh, nobody writes good westerns anymore. He does. I'll read that. He does. Did you ever read Wounded? Oh. That's a western? Yeah. He was actually, he's a professor. He's also a guy who's like, uh, you know, he goes to all the pen conferences with, uh, you know, all the top names. But he also was a cowboy for a little while. He's also Mm. an African-American writer. He's he's a protean and uh, a weird uh, anyway i love his stuff and i just so, also just finished the sequel to wolf hall and i love uh what's her name my brain is going hillary mantel, hillary mantel. so i yeah i'm not like these <laughs> I guys I read, I, I read serious literature i don't know i'm reading the biography read of james tiptree aka alice sheldon so there you I'm go that's a good book i read a lot of biographies is what i read all right Hmm. He's a lot of laughs. <laughs> oh, it is. It's nonfiction. It's kind of a nonfiction version of the Hillary uh-huh. Mantel story. And, uh, really good. Yeah, and I also, yeah, well, and just to pump our program, I talked about Kim Stanley Robinson. I also read a lot of Cecilia Holland, who's our, she's, she's our big November star, who's one of the best historical novelist. I find that the biographies of writers are often distressing. (laughs) Oh, man. That's just the worst. Never. Oh, my God. They tend to be be awfully dull, too. Or or pathetic. That's sort of the two genres of, of, you know, you you either either have the really boring academics or you have uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, where it's just or Dashiell Hammett was yeah. like so it was you know really cool yeah. and then all of a sudden he started drinking. All right. Thank you all for coming. Come see us again. Um, oh, these guys were great. This is uh, what we like um, to do. If anybody wants a copy of the forthcoming Sandman Slim, you can run this one copy and rush down. These guys are going to so. sign their books. <laughs>